If you've got a Bible, uh, Matthew 6 is where we're going to be heading today. We'll get there in just a wee moment. Um, I'll give you, give you the title for today's message, uh, which is Recession Proof Faith. Recession Proof Faith. We are, uh, I don't know if anybody has uh, any access to the outside world, but if you do, we've had a fairly crazy political week uh, in, in, the, in the UK, as you can imagine. And, and things are, are sort of a wee bit nutty. Petrol prices are through the roof. I don't know if you've, you've, I'm sure you've all noticed this. Yes, they've gone up by a good 50% in the last couple of months. Uh, I heard a guy, he, he said he was robbed at a petrol station. The police came and asked him who did it. He said it was pump four. Uh, so anytime Danny asked me to take her out somewhere expensive, we're going to the BP. Okay. That's where we'll be. Um, and uh, I, I sort of feel like I'm getting old because I've started... Do you remember your granny used to always say how cheap things used to be back in the day? You know, your granny used to go, oh, I remember. I would go to the shops with 50p, come back with a semi-detached house or whatever, you know. Uh, like, I feel like I remember when te- when Freddo's were 10p each, guys. I run up to groups of youth and say, Space Raiders, I used to buy 10 packs of them with my one quid pocket money. It was unbelievable. And uh, they just go, wait, who, who is this random stranger, you know, who's shouting at us about the prices of things, um, but we are. I, I don't. I don't want to get political necessarily, but we do live in a political and an economic context. Like that is the world that we live in, and it's been a fairly crazy ride over the last few months or years, even. Um, both from a financial and a political perspective, we're seeing housing costs compared to income from the mid-90s. It used to be four and a half times annual income to buy a house, an average house, um, and now it's eight to ten times. You know, inflation is obviously at, at the highest point since the 70s and, and probably higher than is being reported or currently calculated. And it's sort of a slightly scary time as well. You know, I think some of this, hey, some of that's just the impact of COVID, some of it's a bit of incompetence, and some of it is that there are people who have bad agendas behind the scene, and that is just the reality. There are people that are very openly talking about resetting the Western economy and doing these really quite nefarious things and seizing the land off farmers and all that's happening in the Netherlands. So there's there's stuff going on in the world around us. Uh, there, there's an element of that that I, I think probably will, barring Barring a turnaround of some point, I think we can expect that as the church there's going to be an increasing price to pay for our faith and part of that will be paid economically. That's, that's relatively likely where, you know, if you don't comply, you don't get on board with this agenda or you don't stop sharing your faith or, or, you know, all of that. Hey, you're going to lose that job or you'll not get that promotion or not get that job or we'll come after your business. And we, we are seeing things like that in a, in a rightly ordered society and a godly society. Being a faithful Christian tends to bring blessings in, in a society that rejects that. Being a faithful Christian tends to bring persecution. And so I, I, I don't want to sort of bring all doom and gloom. I'm not saying this will definitely happen. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But there are things that we can sort of see just with a discerning mind and go, hey, there's a chance that things get challenging over the next while, barring, barring a move of God and barring some wise leadership in our nation um, hey, we, we could be out, up for, for a fairly rough ride. And as the church, we could kind of go, hey, well, let's not, let's just pretend that's not happening. You know, let's not talk about it. We'll talk about something that doesn't actually affect you. Or, or we could, you know, compromise, go along to get along. Or we could get ready. 
And I think it would be better to get ready. I think it would be better to say, right, in advance, we're going to see what the Word of God says about this and actually have a look at how we can prepare as the people of God for what might be up ahead. So Matthew chapter 6, and the whole passage sort of hangs together. I will probably not read every bit of it. I'll skip out little bits here and there just because it's a long passage. We're going to go from 19, 6 verse 19 through to 34. Uh, and there'll be a couple of wee bits that just, it'll all tie together, but a couple of wee bits just for the sake of time. I'll not read the whole passage. Um, but, but 6 verse 19, with, with what we've just said in mind, Let me read that for us. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we drop on down then to verse 25, this is connected to that. We often treat these as different passages, but it's very much tied into it. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he gives this whole lovely analogy about the birds of the air and the, the, the flowers in the fields. And God's provision for them. And many of you will know of that. Um, And he says this then in, in verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the Gentiles seek after all of these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious enough for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's two, two big passages there, or as I said, two passages that are often separated, but, but that are very much linked. And two, two real points to the message uh, this morning. The first one is this. It's, it's very obvious. We don't store up treasure here on earth. That, that's the, if we're going to summarize the first chunk of that, that's very, very obvious, self-explanatory. It's exactly what Jesus says. Let's put that in practical terms. We need to, as the people of God, we kind of need to, I, I'm going to use a word, I don't even know if it's a real word, but decatastrophize, get a little bit less freaked out about being financially worse off on earth. Like that is just a thing that as the people of God, we need to, to say that if our living standards, if our, our, our finances drop in some way, that that is not the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. Okay? It, it, don't get me wrong, there's challenges connected to that, but, but it's not always the worst thing that can happen. Um, I think one of the big issues with, with, um, poverty or with, with people that feel that the, the times are tough, certainly in the West, it's often a big emotional challenge as much as it is a practical one. It's often this idea where you look at other people. It's not that you have no shelter or no clothing or no, no food. It's just that your standard compared to what you would like it to be or what other people's around you is, that, that it feels lower. And, and that can be difficult for us. I, I think it can be something that is particularly difficult for guys. To, to be honest, just as men, you tend to go, hey, I feel like you've got to provide. I think that's a biblical concept, by the way, that, that probably the responsibility of that is more on men in, in a family. 
And for guys, that can be difficult because in some sense we draw some status out of that and, and you want to provide well and you look at other people and they you know, seem to be providing well. And if, if you don't feel like you're providing at that same level, you can feel like you've, you, you've sort of done something wrong to your family, like you haven't given them the very best that you would like them to give. And, and so for guys, if you've got to get you know, your kids the, the off-brand trainers as opposed to the Nikes or instead of going out for fancy meals, you do a, you know, a, a takeaway at home or, or you know, you've got to give them a Man United show shirt instead of an arsenal shirt okay now that last one is bad parenting i will say that okay but nonetheless we can you can feel like hey do you know what i i, I see other people giving their their kids and their families good stuff or i see other people with that good stuff am, am i falling short now the answer is you're not go, go, nowhere in the bible are you told to give your kids a life of luxury Okay, it can often be damaging for your kids, but, but it is something that we struggle with. And so we need to get over the idea that that is the worst thing that could happen to you because it just simply isn't. In fact, Jesus' clear message in this passage is, look, material wealth is not the most important thing. Now, we all know that. We all know that. If I, everybody in the world knows that. Like, all pretty much, if you went around and said, is material wealth the most important thing? They'd all go, no, until their material wealth gets threatened. And then it becomes the biggest, most self, you know, sort of, or not self, but, but kind of, it becomes the center of their whole life of, how do I, you know, how can I possibly survive this downturn? But, but Jesus, in the middle of a message, by the way, the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about the kingdom breaking out into the world, and it's a very practical message. At the very center of it, he says, by the way, just reminding you guys, all this talk about the kingdom coming on earth and what we do about that, yes and amen, but the ultimate thing that as believers that we have our hope in is in the kingdom to come. It is in the age to come. It is in eternity. It is not just in the here and now. You can either prioritize this life or you can prioritize the next life, but you cannot do both. And as the people of God, we've got to go. The next life is where we are putting our value. It's interesting that Jesus' kind of argument, if you like, or his, his, the reason why he says not to store up treasure on earth is, is much more a practical one than it is a spiritual one. He doesn't say, look, earthly treasure is not useful. He doesn't go, oh, money's, money's no good. Money's, money's a waste of time. You don't need money. He doesn't say that at all. His point is that it is insecure. It's insecure. There, there were three ways in the ancient world that people stored their money. They didn't have digital bank accounts and, you know, the Apple Pay and all of that. There were three main ways of storing money, which was um, um, in garments and clothing. It was in precious metals, and it was in stores of grain. That was kind of the main way. So th- three Gs, if you like, the, like to put it in those terms, of so grain, garments, and gold were kind of the main ways that they stored money. And Jesus actually hits all of them in this passage. He talks about how moth can destroy that with do garments. Rust, that word there is probably also the same word for like mold or, or something that would infect grain when being stored. And then thieves breaking in and steal, obviously that could apply to all of the above, but he's probably hitting the last one of precious metals. So Jesus says, look, if you're trying to store up your treasure on earth, if that's what's really the focus of your entire life, it's not just that you're unholy, it's you're also being an Egypt. Like that, that's, that's his point. It's like you, you have so little control over that stuff. 
Nature is against you if you're trying to do that. The stock market will go up and it will go down. Trends will come into fashion and they will go out of fashion. Did anybody around my age spend way too much money on baggy jeans as a teenager? Yes, okay. Waste the money. Okay, I'm holding on because they might come back into fashion soon, okay. But, you know, nature is against you and people are against you. Thieves will break in and steal. Hey, the government can say we're just going to print a bunch of money and boom, your savings suddenly, you know, they could be wiped out like that. You can, your bank account can be frozen. Your business can be put into administration, forcibly cancelled, whatever it might be. There's, there's so many things that are against you. And so it's not just the earthly treasure. It's not that it isn't useful. It's not that we don't need it. We'll talk about our needs in a moment. But, but ultimately, you cannot build that as the focal point of your life because it is so insecure. Jesus goes on, though. He makes a, 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 another point. Actually, um, yeah, I'll, so I had a funny analogy that I missed, and so I'll not go back and say it. Anyway, you can all have a good laugh about it in your heads and say, Jamie probably had a good analogy there. I'll skip it for the sake of time. Um, Jesus does make another point, though, which is that we should store up treasure. Jesus commands us to store up treasure in this passage. He says, store up for yourselves treasure, not on earth, but in heaven. Jesus is absolutely for us having the best. Jesus is totally on our, our, uh, on our side when it comes to getting the best things for us. He's not saying you shouldn't have any interest in what is good for you or good for your family. That's, that's not it at all. He's saying that if you are focused on treasure on earth, it's not that you're too focused focused on your own interests. It's that you have no idea where your interests truly lie. You haven't understood where your real interests are. He, he doesn't say, don't have a treasury. He says, have the right treasury. He doesn't say, don't have treasure. He says, have the right treasure. He doesn't say that, 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 that we should just, you know, have nothing and aim at nothing. He says, no, aim for the very best. Everybody in the world, we're all storing up treasure. The question is where? Where are we storing? Are you storing it in the here and now? If you're storing it in the here and now, it is not a good time for you. This would be a difficult time if your focus is on how much wealth you can get in the here and now. If you're storing it up in in eternity, I tell you, this is a great time to be a believer. This is an opportunity. Sometimes people talk about being so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. I I don't think I really agree with that. John Bevere tells a great story. Uh, He was invited out to a place called Goiania in Brazil. And he was invited to speak to the pastors and leaders of a, of a church network. So he gets picked up from the airport and they bring him to an arena with 12 and a half thousand people. And he just says the worship is off the charts and the, you know, there was no roof left in the building, you know, and, and he was, it was the easiest sermon. He said, if you couldn't preach in there, you need to quit the ministry. It was so good. And he gets brought out for lunch after it with sort of eight of the key leaders of the network. Um, uh, and he sort of said, you know, uh, how many people actually attend your churches? Like if this is your pastors and leaders. And they said, about 300,000. And he goes, how long have you been going for? About 16 years. We started with one family. Um, and he goes, what, like how did that happen? Like what, what was, what's the key? How are you doing this? And immediately, like absolutely immediately, without batting an eyelid, the leader goes, we teach our people about eternal rewards and judgment. We teach our people to pursue eternity. He said, in the West, 
Christians tend to have a 70, 80 year perspective on things. It's your lifetime and getting to the end of that. Our people, they go for eternity. And that's what has caused this incredible, incredible move of God. C.S. Lewis said this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. It is not that we should be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. It is that we should be so heavenly minded that we are of immense earthly good. That we take this world, the here and now, and we transform it because we are not living for the here and now. We are living for something greater. I think in the West, we, we, we have, we will see, we will see. I, I don't want to make claims because there's a lot of good people. There's a lot of good Christians in the West. There's a lot of good church leaders. But there's also a lot of, ta- of, of our Christianity that is probably driven in some way by, you see guys, and there's, there's good lighting, there's you know, good cameras, and they say you know, they're well off. I'm not even talking about lavish stuff. They just, you know, you can make money and, and do well financially in ministry. And all those things are good things we should praise God for. But if the, the sort of proverbial, you know, the cack hits the fan, to use a Northern Irish term. You know, if that happens, we'll see, is eternity really behind that or is something else behind that? If something else is behind it, we're, we're going to be okay. You see, having eternal treasure will make us dangerous. You'll be a weapons-grade Christian if you have eternal treasure as your focus. Because you can obey God and things can go badly. Okay, you absolutely, it can cost you. It can cost you finance, it can cost you friends, it can cost you your life. If you read anything of church history, you will know that. And yet, if you have your treasure in eternity, you don't have it in the here and now, you will go, I've lost nothing of value. I have lost nothing that really lasts. You know, they they might come to you and go, hey, if you keep going like this, you're going to lose your job, we're going to end your career, you will have no more opportunities in this field. We will ruin you. And you can go, thank you for this investment opportunity into what really matters. You go right ahead. Thank you very much. I have my treasure somewhere else. You see, that which is temporal cannot steal that which is eternal. Man can only take from you what man gives to you. Man cannot take from you what God has given to you. And if your treasure is in heaven, if it is there, can I tell you this? God himself is looking after it. It's in his bank, okay? He's not going into administration. He will not, you know, go out of business anytime soon. It will not get inflated away. The government cannot tax it, people, okay? It can't, they can't get at it. Thieves can't take it. You cannot lose it. God is holding it for you and he says, get all you can. Get the eternal treasure. Go for it. As one of my favorite names from church history, a guy called C.T. Studd. Come on, what a name. He said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. First point is that we've got to have our treasure in heaven. Now there's a second element here. If that, that first point is kind of the foundation, it's the, 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 the sort of what we're building on. When it comes to the practical outworking, you do still need money. Like we can't just, you don't live off the presence of God. Like you don't come into church and then not need to eat afterwards. You know, like you do need stuff like to survive. Genuinely, you know, that's a, that's a real thing. And so these things are not really separate passages. That's, that's what I've, I've said. Jesus says, therefore, therefore, 
So he connects the two at the start of this second bit. And he says, because you're storing up treasure in heaven, therefore don't worry about the supply on earth. Now it's interesting, I just, just want to give, this is almost like just a little bit of reassurance for you. Um, he doesn't say that if your priorities are in heaven, that you will automatically not worry about things on earth. Okay, he, he doesn't say, I, I don't think this is an automatic thing. This is more of a reassurance thing. So it's very possible to be going after God, prioritizing heaven, and still have times of anxiety and fear over the here and now. Right, And that does not mean, if, you, if you're going through that in a difficult time, that does not mean that you are not seeking God. Okay, It does not mean that you are not pursuing the things of heaven. It does not mean that you are a bad Christian. There will still be, even if you are pursuing eternity, there's still an opportunity for you, there's a temptation for us to, to worry about the here and now. Now that, now, that doesn't mean that that is a good thing. We should fight that worry. We absolutely should take that on as something that we, uh, you know, work against in our lives. Because worrying about the here and now, even if you're prioritizing eternity, it can make you less effective. You know, if, if, if um, we see this often in churches, actually, churches that have grown, churches that have built a big ministry, it can be very scary to speak up about something. It can be very scary to preach on certain passages because you've got staff You've got people to pay. You've got, you know, whole systems built up around that. And if you lose that, like there's, there's a, a real option for worrying there. Um, and to worry will make you less effective. And if we want to be effective in dark times, we're going to need to get really good at not worrying. We're going to have to practice that, okay? There, there's a temptation even uh, among Christians. Actually, we do this a lot. I think we, we spiritualize worry and we call it discernment. Okay, like we, we can do that, right? I don't know, I'm, I'm making up a word here again, but uh, you probably know somebody who's a little bit too end timesy, okay? Like you do, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, they'll be reading their Bible, and, and they'll be this, in the story of Joseph, and then there'll be a song comes on that has the word abide, and they'll be like, Joseph, abide, Joseph, abide. I've got it. Joe Biden is the Antichrist. That's what this must mean. You know, that'll be the take. You know, like, and I, I've seen like legitimate stuff where there was a big Christian television network selling a $5,000 sort of survivor prep tinned food thing for you to survive the end times, you know? And it's like, I mean, it was a three month supply as well. I was like, I would last a lot. If I went a little with five grand, okay, and bought tins, I could fill up Loch Ney with baked beans, okay? I wouldn't just survive Armageddon. I would survive the millennial reign of Christ, okay, with five grand worth of tin food. But we can do that. It's not wrong to prepare. It's not wrong to save. It's not that, none of that's bad. But a fretting, anxious, worried, you know, hey, it's all going wrong. So we're just going to cling on. That's, that's not what God has for his people. It's not, it's not going to be good for our witness. We often think that we worry because of circumstances. This is one of the most natural things when someone's worried. You go, well, what are you worried about? That's, that's kind of the first question. What are you worried about? And they'll come up with something reasonable. They'll come up with, hey, this happened at work or this is happening in my relationship or, or this is happening in you know, the, the wider world. Like, I'm worried about this, that and the other. And it's, it's, it's legitimate reasons for worry in the natural. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't go to the natural for the solution. 
Jesus doesn't go, hey, don't worry, because ultimately, if you think about it and work hard, you'll be able to find a way out of it, and, you know, it'll not be that bad in the end, and you'll see things. He doesn't do that. He bases not worrying on God. He bases the fact that you should not worry, or the commandment not to worry, on God himself, the fact that God is powerful enough and good enough to take care of you, no matter what. He is able to do it. That is what he bases it on. And and so we'll see this, you know, we'll see that actually worry is not based on circumstance a lot. Whenever somebody who is, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody who's sort of very anxious. um, I've seen that someone very anxious about finances, always worried about their finances. And the financial problem gets resolved. But the worry doesn't stop, it just moves. It goes into another area. They worry about their health or they worry about their reputation or can they hold on to the finances that they now have? It's, 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 the, the worry was not based on their view of their finances. Their worry was based on their view of their father. Their worry was based on the fact that they did not know and did not acknowledge or did not fully trust God's ability to take care of them. Jesus does not say here, do not worry unless the economy goes badly, in which case have at it, worry away. And he doesn't say, do not worry unless the government goes a wee bit ski whiff. At at which point you're welcome to worry. No, no, no. He he says, do not worry because God is going to still be God. And even when people are bad, God is still good. And even when there are evil kings, there is a king of kings. And even when you have no control, he is in control of everything. And he is able and willing and actually not just willing, fully desires to take care of your needs. He is able to do it. And so he gives us the promise that gives us the ability not to worry. He says, if you tend to my priorities, I will tend to your provision. Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you. They will be given to you. I I think we do have to acknowledge that that this talks about needs, right? So the examples here are food and drink and clothing. It's not, I don't think you can quote that every time you walk past a Lamborghini, okay? I seek first the kingdom of God, and that one will be mine, you know? I just, I don't think that that's what it's there for. It's talking about Daily necessary provision. I believe God has that for us. I, I, I remember back as a kid, this is the most 90s themed me- I'm going to talk about Adidas poppers, okay? We've done, we've done cheap Freddos uh, and we're now doing Adidas poppers. Um, I remember wanting, everyone had Adidas poppers, all the cool kids in school. And for those of you who don't know, they were tracksuit bottoms that had buttons the whole way up the sides for some, as though that's a good thing for trousers. Like, <laughs> the people's legs suddenly get really hot, you know, just, oh, cheapers, got to get the trousers off immediately, you know, they were the cool thing, I remember wanting a pair of Adidas poppers, we didn't grow up, like, we had, we had some, so, uh, hey, we grew up, we were fine, but there was the odd hard time, when we didn't have everything that you wanted, I wanted a pair of Adidas poppers, I never got them, but in every photo I look at of myself back then, I was wearing trousers, okay, I was, I was, it wasn't Adidas poppers, but God gave me some trousers, I did, I had them. And, and so I, I, I'm not saying that you'll never have to tighten the belt, you never have a challenge, that's what God's promise is, or that the provision will look like what you want. So it's not that the business can never close, it's not that there can never be that, but God has said that, that he will give you your needs. He doesn't promise you everything your social media feed tells you you need to be happy and satisfied. Okay, because those things are mostly contradictory anyway. Okay, you need more stuff. No, you need less stuff. You need this. You need that. You know, it's not that. He will give you what you need. 
not undescribable wealth now, although if you get wealthy, praise God, what a blessing, use it well and thank God for it. But that's not the promise. The promise is that he will look after you. So, so what do we do then, right? If you feel anxious, because you will, at some point, I can guarantee you, worry about finance is going to pop into your head. If you've never worried about finance, you've got to screw loose, okay? You, you, you just, who, who in the, is there anybody in the room? Actually, now that I've said that, no one will put their hand up. But you know what, you know what I mean? Like, if, if you've never thought about it, you, you're, you're odd. Like, you know? But, but, but how do you grow in this? I, well, I th- I, my take on, the, on it is this. Courage is a skill that you learn and you grow in. It's not, it's not just something that comes out of, you know, just out of the blue and whacks you over the head or the one encounter with God will do a lot to increase your courage. But it's not something I think people are born with. There are very few babies who are wildly courageous, newborn children, you know. That's, that's not, not how it works. You grow in it. Our, our wee, wee son, Jack, three years old, one of the things he hates most of all is getting anything in his eyes or his nose. Um, and with COVID tests and all of that, that was always a, an absolute treat. Um, I remember, I remember he conjunctivitis one. Th- Sorry, this is not the plan story. This is just an aside. He conjunctivitis, and we had a two-person job where I was pinning him down with all fours and forcing his eyelids open so Danny could get the eye drops in, and uh, he howled. It was great. Um, but I remember one time I was like, I, it was not long ago, just before we went on holidays. We sniffle and you know, got a wee bit of nasal spray just to sort of clear him up and help him breathe better at night and all. And uh, I just was like, we've got to get over the fear here. Like, he's got to do this, but he's got to do it willingly without us forcing him. So I spent about an hour, like, just talking him into trying to get this nasal spray and, like, putting it. It was like, right, can I put it on your cheek? Can I just put it up here? And then I right, can I put it on the side of your nose. Right, can I put it in and I'll not spray it? And then, like, like literally a full hour talking him into this. I go, I'm going to spray it. You ready? You ready? And you spray it, spray it. Howls, hate it. But, you know, big hugs, big high fives. You did it. You chose to do it. Now, it was either great parenting or terrible parenting. I'm still not sure. But ever since, he's had no fear of nasal spray. We've done it a few times since, you know, after, after that, in that same run of days where he was a bit unwell. He got over the, he practiced. He practiced being brave. Sometimes, you know what, you've just got to do it when you don't feel brave. You've got to, you've got to seek the kingdom even when you are worried. And then you'll learn not to worry. Like that's how it goes. You seek the kingdom anyway. The promise is not if you don't worry, you'll get your needs met. The promise is you seek the kingdom. So sometimes you seek the kingdom when you are worried and you have a sleepless night. That's okay. Seek the kingdom anyway and you'll see that God provides anyway. And then you'll see that the worry was unfounded, that actually your provider was God, not whatever you thought it was. I'll give you one provision story and then I'll close. I was out in Sweden, first year of Bible college. I had uh, no money, like, so I'd, I'd worked a wee bit over the summer. And uh, my parents, bless them, their, their business had just closed. It was a hard time for them. So they had a wee bit of money they'd give me every month. But I was basically going without enough to cover my needs. And I was kind of living off the savings that I got in the summer. And uh, I remember about sort of April time, it was around Easter. I had six days to go until the end of the month before their sort of monthly um, support came in. And I went to the bank machine. I went to get out money. And I had nothing in my account. It was just empty. And I was like, right, well, I'm okay because I've got, I've got lunch and dinner sorted. I was volunteering in the Christian school that they had there. And, and so they give you your lunch. You could take some home. And that was my dinner. So it was, it was fine on that. And for breakfast, I knew I had 
uh, some porridge, I had some some milk, I had some bread, and some peanut butter. I was like, right, I can make that last for six days. And so the morning after I found out that I had no money in the account, um, I went to go and get my porridge, and I poured the milk in, and the milk had gone sour. And then I went to go and get my bread, and the bread had gone mouldy. I was just one of those like absolutely, you know, just wick moments in life where you just go, this is the worst, you know. Went in the Bible college, they had this prayer request thing. So I wrote a prayer request and it's all anonymous, you know, and, and, you know, so I didn't, I didn't put a big red hand at Ulster beside it. So everyone knew it was a Northern Irish guy, you know, I was just put, handed in. And um, anyway, I went, went home after, you know, nothing happened during the day. I went home after and I just felt, I'd, I'd been inspired by a Smith Wigglesworth sermon about when you don't have faith of your own, go to heaven and get God's. And so I said, I'm going to just go and be in the presence of God. And real encounter with the presence of God. Powerful encounter. I just went, oh, this is going to be all right. And I walked out my door and in front of me was a bag with bread and milk and a pizza. And uh, the pizza was the thing that really got me. I was, I was one of those where I was like, goodness, there is a God in heaven, you know? Like he does provide. And it was, it was from a person, it wasn't, you know, uh, uh, but it was profound. And the timing was profound. And, uh, and then the next day, I got a call that my auntie had felt she should give me a few hundred quid. And that was going to cover the gap between what I was getting in and what I needed until the end of Bible call. It was just one of those moments where you go, do you know what? Seek first the kingdom of God. These things are going to be added to you. So if we have dark times coming up, if we have challenging times, whether that's economic alone or it's economic plus other issues, just say this. If we set eternity first, and we trust God for our daily needs, the church will be unstoppable in the midst of it. We will. We, we, we will see God do wonders. Uh, and it will build the kingdom no matter what happens.